From Konigstein Road in the east to Casitas Gap in the west, and the orange curtain is descended across the Ojai Valley. This is Ojai Talk of the Town. Hi everyone, I'm Brett Bradigan, editor of Ojai's Magazine, the quarterly and monthly. Bringing in a special guest today, Karen Banfield. Karen found an interesting project during the pandemic, creating the Good Guys 2022 calendar, which features 12 men in Ojai who are making a difference through their attitudes and actions and being positive role models for other men and women in the Ojai Valley. We talk about her calendar project, her career in theater, opera, and her one-woman show. She even brings us the gift of her beautiful voice. You can check out the calendar at karenbanfield.me and order your copy or pick one up at Poppy's Art and Gift or Pixie's General Store. Hey, Karen. Hey. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. We're here to talk about your calendar project, The Good Guys. And uh, you were kind enough to give me one and I'll put it up here on the wall. But... uh, 2022 is already here, but it seems like you've been thinking about 2022 for quite a long time. Why don't you tell us about that? Well, I've been thinking about getting the stories of these men into the world for a while, and a calendar seemed like a good way to do it. I feel like we really, really need positive role models right now. And I thought, what a great way to see a new man every month who's somebody that you admire and would like to uh, read about and hold in your personal space. Well, I know about half of these people, uh, but so I'm, you know, some of these I don't know, which is interesting. I've lived in Ojai for 20 plus years now, and I'm always surprised by how many people I don't know. How did you, how did you find, I mean, there's what, uh, 21,000 people in the Ohio Valley, <laughs> roughly 53% are women. I don't know if you knew that. So men is like maybe 9,000 some. And you, you only could come up with 12. <laughs> well, I was limited to 12. <laughs> yeah, each one of these men has touched my life in some way uh, through their kindness. So a lot of them nobody knows about. They're just people who kind of live in the shadows, but... They're really amazing in terms of their generosity. Yeah, some of them are public figures like Severo, Trevor Quirk. He's in my poker group. Mm-hmm. I know Robert Evans. I see him around all the time. Brian Berman. He's uh, one of my favorites. He's just so sweet and committed to his cause, and I really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, so what? was the genesis of this i know you told me a little bit about you had some other idea for this project and then (laughs) you ended up with with this do you want to tell me about that yeah first of all i thought i just had an idea of making a calendar and i thought well it'd be really fun to do one for naked gardening day naked gardening day yes that's only one day a year right (laughs) right But you were going to do a calendar or yes, you going to do some other project? No, okay. I was going to do a calendar about it. I just thought it would be fun to take photos. I had two men that agreed. So and you I got, just wanted to take photos of naked men? <laughs> well, they're not the all the way naked. <laughs> okay, or strategically naked. 
strategically. I thought it would be fun and funny and make people smile. But I didn't. I only got two people who agreed, and they were close friends of mine. So how many people said no? Everybody. Except those two. Everybody but those two. And how many did you ask? Oh, I only I only ask about four or five, but a lot of the wives said, would you do this, honey? And they went, hell no. <laughs> the, but the women that wanted to encourage them to yes, do it? Yes, they wanted to encourage what them to do movie, it. What was that movie, The Full Monty? Yes, exactly. Where it was the, you know, that was the movie was so sweet because it wasn't, the men didn't want to do this project and they felt, you know, uncomfortable with this. Uh, and it was the women that was like, you're, we want to see you. We <laughs> yes. want to see you. Right. We think you're beautiful. Yeah. So um, there's a bit of that spirit in this, I feel like, or would have been. So what What then? You know, you couldn't round up enough guys that wanted to take their clothes off and do some gardening. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I just started thinking about all the men who touched my life like the first man january is sam and he runs omega cellular and i have watched him be so patient and so kind to everybody who comes in especially people my age that don't know anything about the technology the technology transferring over your phones yeah he has just been wonderful and Mr. February, the uh, former bodyguard for the Dalai Lama, he lives in my neighborhood. So that that was uh, Dharamsala in, in northern India. Is that where the Dalai Lama holds court, so to speak? I think so. And um, how, did, how did he end up in Ojai? That's a very interesting one for me. I think he just got tired of being where he was, and he decided that he needed a new experience and when he came here nobody knew him and he ended up working at a 7-eleven so i think yeah. that's interesting 7-eleven yeah well it's the immigrant experience you just get on the bottom ladder that's bottom right. rung of the ladder and just work your way up well he's a very small man and we used to have a drug house in our neighborhood and he used to go out and these drug dealers just plain left. And I thought, how does this tiny little man hold such power over these uh, kind of violent, scary people? But he did. Oh, he just really? embodies it. Was it Math it. House? Was it Math? I don't know if it was Because if it's just Marijuana House, they're usually just no. laying around <laughs> on the couch and watching, <laughs> playing video games. Right. They don't care about that. <laughs> yeah, but Math, the problem with that drug is that they have way too much energy you know, they're going yeah. 24-7, and they, they don't, uh, they're always up to some kind of mischief. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So, really, in Ojai, there was a drug house in Ojai. Hmm. I guess it's gone. So, what did you, uh, what was the secret? Did you ask him? No, I think it's just he embodies his authority, and people feel it. Yeah. So, being a bodyguard, he must have had some sort of uh, strength or martial arts training or yeah, something. Yeah, he had a lot of education and intelligence and the, so, the Dalai Lama paid for all of his schooling. Yeah, well, you know, uh, there's a few of the Tibetan diaspora in Ojai. You know, uh, Dorji and Dolkar? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is this the same neighborhood we're talking about? Um, this is in Termina. 
This yeah. is Terramina, yeah. Which is a really lovely neighborhood. I can't imagine a drug house in Terramina. It's a storybook. It's like it a Thomas is. Kincaid painting almost. Yeah, it is. It's just, it was nestled away and went, finally they moved and everybody sighed a big <laughs> relief. And so we have good people there. They didn't last long, thankfully. Yeah. Well, thanks to uh, Dargyal, mm-hmm. I guess. How do you pronounce that? Dargyal or Jom Jom? I am not sure how to pronounce it, honestly. Yeah. And we'll just get it wrong here, so yeah, we'll stop just right leave. Now. So um, yeah, then you got people to take. Who did you get to take photos? Did you? Cause oh, I did really all the well photos. Proposed. Yeah, I did all the photos. Yeah, very nice. And my son laid it all out for me. He works in LA, um, doing graphics, and so he was really kind to do all that. It was really interesting to work with my son because I'd send him something and I say, "This is what I want," and he'd go. I'm not feeling it, Mom. Oh, really? <laughs> and I'm like, it's, oh, okay. Well, that's how it works. I, I do that's a lot of layout works. and design myself. <laughs> I try to stay fluent with Adobe InDesign and Photoshop, but there's people who are much better at it than I am, and I defer to their judgment, usually. Usually. Yeah. So what? Uh, then what? How did you, like... The printing, uh, it's not cheap. I know you're only charging $20 for this, which makes me wonder how you're planning on making any money. I I have to sell probably 700 more to break even. Wow. I know, but you know what? I just felt so guided to do it. I just felt like it was the absolute right thing to do. And I sat down with the printer and he told me the cost and I went, oh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but then the money just kind of came to me, and I went, okay, that's yours, and it's more than I paid for my car. Really? Uh-huh. But well, I, how many copies did you print then? A thousand. A thousand, twenty thousand dollars, jeez. Oh, that's how much no. you would gross if you sold all of them. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. Are you planning on uh, 2023 already? Are you collecting? I don't know if I will do another calendar. This just felt like something that needed to happen now because the world is so divided and it feels like there's so many negative images of men out there that I really felt. Toxic masculinity. Yeah, exactly. Every time you turn on the news and I just like, oh, no, let's. Let's not do that. Let's really put something positive out there. Oh, I feel there's there's a balance of both. I feel like the uh, social media algorithms are driving us towards that outrage and spotlighting the worst of us because it's what drives engagement. If it bleeds, it leads. Uh-huh. And they have put that that tenant of you know broadcast news into the stratosphere with social media because of the accessibility. And what happened with Facebook a few weeks ago and Mark Zuckerberg and, you know, they're in the whistleblower. I just don't know that that's going to, going to change because why would it? That's their business model. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're doing your little bit to push back on that. How do you think, how do you, what do you think's the, you know, the solution to that outrage machine? Because it seems to me like it's just nestled up inside of human nature inextricably. Ah, turn it off. (laughs) Yeah. I really do. I just feel like we'll get the news. Whether or not you want to get it, it will come to you. It'll come from friends. It'll come from looking at the headlines when you walk by. But, you know, last election, I was glued to the news because I was so upset about everything. And then uh, when the presidency changed, I felt like I could calm down a little bit. And 
I think a lot of people have just been so upset and in so much turmoil about what the world has yeah, been like. It's like a, some huge percentage of people don't believe that the election was honest, and it wasn't even really close. That's the interesting thing. So there's no, um, you know, there's no, there's no proof, you know, offered. It's just banging on the you know, the wheel lost and we're going to take it back. And this was a coup and it's, it scares me. It's not gone away. I feel like it's gotten worse. I saw what happened on January 6th and there's no consequences for that. It's just minor consequences for the people who showed up, who thought they were doing the right thing and that this is their house and they're going to, you know, hang Mike Pence because he's not doing what their dear leader bid them to do. And that this is really, um, you know, the people who organized and weaponized that outrage, there's no consequences for them, none. Mm-hmm. In I fact, know. they're being encouraged because they're, you know, they've gathered large audiences. So, I don't know. I've, I really congratulate you on, at least in our little corner of the world, we can tend to our own garden, so to speak, as you were talking about Naked Gardening Day. <laughs> so, um yeah, I guess there really isn't much more we can do except what's right in front of us and and hope that by example, and I suppose that's part of what your idea was for this project, to provide positive examples. Yes, exactly. And these are people, I think a lot of them just work in the shadows and every day they do good things. And I wanted to bring them out of the shadows and have people take a look at what's going on and it's uh, it's so important to see and acknowledge right now, I think. Yeah. Are there like a lot of people that you thought should have been in the calendar but didn't? didn't um, you had to make a cut? You had to make some choices? I had to make choices, but I just felt like there was like a natural selection. Some people just kind of fell away naturally and others uh, came selection. forward. Yeah. It's like the Darwinian. Right. <laughs> good guys. They get on the calendar, so... Yeah. They're going to extend themselves into, uh, you know, good deeds. Like Ken, he's a Mr. November, and he's a good friend, and he is on the cover, and then he's on the next to the last page, like who are the good guys in your life, and then there's a, a profile of him, and he just shows up to do anything for that anybody needs. I mean, he's the most good-hearted, giving man that I've met. And, you know, there's just so, I think that can be said of just about anybody on this calendar. They're just good-hearted and they they want to lead by example and they really want to help the world. And I, I just wanted to bring their stories forward so people could see and celebrate who they are. Yeah, now where can we get this calendar? Well, uh, in Ojai, you can get it at Pixies and Poppies and the Art Museum. Now, Pixies General Store, the one on the corner of yes. Signal and Matilla. Right. Or, is that Signal and Matilla? Yes. And then, and pa- then Poppies Art and Gallery right here mm-hmm. behind the arcade. Yeah. And then online. Yes, they can get it from me too. Um, oh, if they give you a call or reach out to you, you'll make yeah, sure they get that- one. And also the Ohio Athletic Club and Robert Evans, who's Mr. July, he has been struggling with cancer for years now and he's been yeah, such a popular instructor. That. And at the Athletic Club, 
every bit of the proceeds go to Robert to help him out. So that's another place, the OI Valley Athletic Club. Oh, the Club. Athletic Club, awesome. Yeah. Well, good for you for doing that. Yeah, he's a fixture in Ohio. He's been here, like, I don't know, 30 years or something. Yeah, he's just such a lovely man. Yeah. yeah. So let's learn about you, Karen. How did you get to Ojai, and how did you get in this this uh, moment in your life? Oh, uh, I lived in Oregon for about 35 years, and after a while I was getting pneumonia. Where Portland. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Oh, there's a movie that, if you lived in Portland, there's a film that just came out called Pig. With starring Nicolas Cage. Oh my gosh, I don't know it. It's about the food culture in Portland, but it's it's much more. It's a meditation on grief, I think is the way Mark Maron or somebody described it. And that fits, but it's just so fascinating. And there's a certain kind of role that only Nick Cage can play. Right. And this is one <laughs> of them. And if you're looking for the violence and all the rest of that, which I love, I love that in films. I think it's cathartic. I think it gives us, uh, you know, a way not to uh, do it in real life. Mm-hmm. That uh, you'll be disappointed because there isn't much of that in this movie. It's much sweeter and and uh, very sincere tone. But anyway, Pig, Nicholas Cage, great film. Portland, so back to Portland, 35 years. Yeah. But where did you grow up, though? I mean, upstate I'm not... New York. And oh, really? I... I'm from Chautauqua County, if you know where that is. Okay. I was by Seneca Lake, and then I went to boarding school in St. Johnsbury, Vermont. Okay. My brother went to school at uh, Syracuse, but he he lived in Lodi and Lodi Point, which I guess is just... Just across the river from Penn, or across the lake from Penn Yan, if you know okay. where that is. Yeah, I do, I do. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful country, oh my God. And for what you consider upstate New York or western New York even, I guess it's kind of on the border. It's The climate is quite temperate. It's not as frozen as the wilderness like Chautauqua County and the Allegheny Mountains and that. So it was always nice to go visit my brother in the winter and it would be so you know there wouldn't be as much snow and it wouldn't be as frozen and it's, they call it the banana belt of new york mm. probably uh, not your experience no i was glad to leave especially after going to school in vermont too and it just seemed like i was going you went to a boarding school in vermont yeah. so you must have had rich parents then huh um they helped me out yeah. I was sick a lot, and so they made sure I was okay and well-educated. Like, well, like huh? Just different childhood illnesses. Yeah, like scarlet fever and... No, just hospitalizations. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> Don't even want to go there. No, well, I'm not going to go there. You seem to be doing all right for yourself. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. So then, where'd you go from Vermont? Um, I went to... Boston to music school. I went to study opera in Austria. Wait, is that Berkeley School of Music? Is that in Boston? I, actually, it was Harvard Square. It was a French school called uh-huh. the Langis School of Music. And what kind of music was it? What's the method there that they teach? I don't know. T- they didn't have a particular pedagogy? I studied opera. That's what I learned. Oh. What's your favorite aria? <sighs> oh. I'm not sure I can say. <laughs> really? I was just thinking that uh, I interviewed Rhiannon Giddens, who is a folklorist and has a large following. It's amazing, but she's a, she was a opera soprano. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's her photo on the wall behind you. 
but she um, was at the Ohio Music Festival. But she does a podcast called The Aria Code, in which she dissects popular arias, or maybe not even some more obscure arias, and just kind of tells a story behind it. And she usually has a journalist on the podcast and really uh, goes deep on those arias. And I'm not an opera person, but some of those are just amazing. I'd say my favorite was that Stravinsky... Um, the Rake's Progress, only because they performed that at Ojai. Did you get a chance yeah, to see I, that? I did see that. He's yeah. one of my least favorite people. Stravinsky? <laughs> yeah. Why is that? <laughs> I don't know. So dissonant. I just find him really dissonant. Yeah. Well, that's part of the, you know, what he was after is forcing people out of their comfort zones of music. You felt like people's ears are getting lazy. He wanted to <laughs> shake them up a bit. Mm-hmm. So well, who is your favorite composer then, or who would you regard? Well, you know, I felt like I was miscast in opera, and I, I was much more comfortable. Uh, when I went to a school of theater, I felt like that's where I belonged. More of the theatrical side? Yeah. There's a lot of theater yeah. and opera. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, there is. What do you mean by miscast? Um, I think I wanted to go disappear into a Ginger Rogers, Fred Astaire movie, and, oh, really? And so I ended up in music school, and then all of a sudden I was shuffled into opera, and it felt too exacting for me. I wanted. It's a very formal discipline. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just felt like every measure was had to be perfect all the time, and I didn't want to be like that. There's no room for coloratura. Is that what they call it? <laughs> the or us. Uh, you know, the expressiveness of the of the piece, right? You know, yeah. I don't know. When I hear Dawn Upshaw or somebody like that sing opera, I am, you know, the emotionality of the experience is really impressive. And it is a very formal and rigid, but how do they, how do you manage that then? How do you, how does she tap into this, you know, emotional range within this, you know, very precise beats per measure and everything's got to be on key and everything. I think it becomes second nature when you do it enough, you know. Is that it? You just, you know, needed to do it more than you wanted to, you felt like? (laughs) I just, I felt like I was heading in the wrong direction. I was really grateful for all the voice lessons I had. I feel like that served me well. Um, But I just didn't, it wasn't my place. And what was your place? Where did you go from there? Like, what was the next, next um, chapter? I went to a school of theater, and that felt more appropriate. And it was improvisational theater. It, also in Boston? No, that was in Oregon. Oregon? Uh, oh, that's when you got to Oregon. Yeah, yeah. In Portland as well? Uh-huh, yeah. Improvisational, like Del Close, Second City type it was, of improvisational um, A lot of the theater was about... It was born out of movement, so there was a lot more of than uh, yes and improvisational situations. A little bit like that. Yeah, yeah, it's hard for me to describe it. But yeah, there's that. But the Alexander method or something's about how the memories get stored in your muscle tissue and how you do the the range of the acting and so forth, tapping into that to give your roles and your performances more depth and resonance. This was um, the Richard Hayes Marshall School of Theater, and it was based on a French technique. And I can't, speaking of memory, I can't remember the name of the technique anymore. And I was really young. I was like 30 and had two children as a single parent. 
It's a really? very challenging time. But yeah. you were doing theater. <laughs> but did you did you have to have a day job, or was you like all in on? Because it seems like a pretty tough was, way to make a living. I was all in, but I was also working as an intuitive, so I would make money from client uh, seeing clients, and then I would do theater. Intuitive. That's like cold reading and figuring out what. It's going on with people through their... Yes, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's like being clairvoyant and... Is this also, a gift, do you feel, that you had? Like you knew it from an early age? Yeah, yeah. And how? Like what was your first experience with that? Because I, upstate New York, that's where the spiritualist community yeah, was born. The yeah. Fox sisters and the table knocking and all. <laughs> I've just always known what's going on with people at a deep level without them telling me. And I think... That's part of the calendar, coming back to the calendar, that I, I feel like I can see into the genuine parts of people that maybe they don't always speak about or express. Oh, yeah. So these people were probably a little taken aback by just even being approached, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, most of them said, oh, no, no, I, no. There's many <laughs> no. more deserving people than me. Exactly. Especially Roger Ford. He kept saying, oh, I don't think I should be in the calendar. I'm, and he's like one of the most loving, giving men I've ever met. Yeah, that's the Holistic Healing Center. That was uh, Healing in America. Healing in America. And it's right yeah. on, also on Matilla Hall, But believe. that doesn't exist anymore because of the pandemic. Oh, yeah, because that was hosting classes and stuff. Did you do classes there as well? I did my one-woman show there several times. And uh, we'll talk about that. Did you develop that during your time in Portland in the theater? Uh, No, here. I did it here. Oh, since you came to Ojai. Yeah. And when was that? When did you get to Ojai? Oh, gosh, uh, 12 years ago. 12 years. Oh, Mm -hmm. wow. It seems like I've known you longer than that, but I guess not. So, yeah, what was the... You know, the well, to, let's go back to the theater. You mentioned it was a French method. Mm-hmm. And what kind of performances were done? Was there any, you know, regular part of the repertoire that people would recognize? Or was it all developed there locally? Or what was it? It was deal? all developed locally. After, after I had the training, I worked with a touring company uh, for several years. And that made me sick because I was always in hotels and eating in restaurants. Oh, yeah. It's it so just, hard to stay on the road and stay healthy. Yeah, I don't was, know how some people do it. Yeah. They live on the road, like a lot of musicians and yeah. and performers. They're always on the road, and they're always having to live out of hotel rooms and take out food and everything. Mm-hmm. And yet they still seem so vibrant and and healthy. I just don't get I that I don't know how they I, do it either. It just destroyed me. It really did. What was the show that you were touring with? Oh, there were a lot of different shows. Um, the last one was the Tears of Joy. And we just went out two people at a time. And we had contracts to go through all the schools up through the Western states and into Alaska. Oh, yeah? Like on now. To perform for the students and yeah. like assemblies, yeah. and then do oh, workshops yeah. what was that for them. Show? The, uh, we did a lot of oh, most of it. We wrote; they were original pieces, written to take out on tour. That yeah. you workshop in the theater. Yeah. To well, what was that? Tell me some about some of those. I'm curious. Like, how did the you know how did the school administrators get found out about you and and book you and so forth? Uh, the Tears of Joy company they, they were very active in terms of writing grants and being in touch with people and uh, we we did 
We always wrote original shows, and one I remember was about an Indian folk tale about this coyote being trapped in a cedar tree. And when the first time we did it, uh, the coyote was in the cedar tree, and he was like, oh, no, how will I get out? And all these young children came rushing towards the stage to help. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we had learned to be careful. But the careful. coyote's a trickster. <laughs> right. Yeah, and there's a reason why I was trying to get him in there. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was fun. It was fun to tour. I mean, for so the... So what were the ages that you were aiming at? Uh, it was all elementary school up until high school. And then when high school, they were a little bit, oh, I don't have the time for this. <laughs> or worse, they get snarky and Yeah, it's kind of snarky. And, yeah. yeah. Hecklers. Uh-huh. So it was just fun. Uh, that's what I was trained in to write original theater. So it was easy for me to do my show when I decided... But I was actually greatly helped by Toastmasters because it was one thing to be a character on the stage, but when I went to Toastmasters, I had to be myself, and that was scarier. That was hard. It is for always me. scariest to be yourself, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. We have all our armor and our walls that we put up and personas that we project because yeah, yeah. There's that scared little baby in there. It's uh -huh. like, uh, didn't get something. It's always something that we missed. Yeah, we're always looking for. Yeah. So for you, what was the, what was the genesis of the show? You said you decided. What was that decision? What was that around and about? Um, I just I'd written a book called Tarantulas, Fudge, and Altered Reality, and it was a little, it was vignettes. It was a memoir, and people oh, loved man. it. When I think altered reality, I think hallucinogens. <laughs> and then I think tarantulas, <laughs> and then now I'm freaking myself out. Yes. <laughs> That's a bad combination. Well, uh, that story, that's a particular story. When I went to visit my friends in Tucson, and um, my friend said, would you do a reading for us? And I said, yeah, but I need a nap first. And so everybody kind of laid down for a little bit. And then I thought, I need something to wake me up. And everybody can drink coffee. I've never been able to drink coffee. So I looked at really, that. Stresses your <laughs> cortisol. I can't drink coffee or wine. I'm, I'm my digestive, digestive system is really different. Oh, okay. So anyway, That's I went in the freezer bad. and I found this tin of fudge and I went, oh, lovely. That'll just, just one piece will wake me right up. And it turned out it was medical marijuana and I was just so incredibly ill. <laughs> ill? Oh my God, I thought it was medicine. <laughs> For it's some people, to heal you. <laughs> for some people, it oh, is. <laughs> I love edibles. I'm not going to lie. I can't smoke anymore, uh, so I rely on edibles. <laughs> yeah. So then you gave the reading or not? Were you just too? Um, I started to, but I didn't realize what I had done, and so I just it takes thought a I, long time to hit. Yeah. yeah, I thought I just broke with reality and had some kind of psychotic break, and I was terrified. Really? And then this man was. Uh, he does uh, architectural design so that his yard is one of those places people tour because it's so beautiful. In Tucson? Yeah. By the university? Uh, not too far. But anyway, I was being sick in his yard from both ends for a long time. Oh, my God. I couldn't there move. Might have been, that doesn't sound like <laughs> marijuana. Well. There must have it, been some salmonella or something on there. I mean, everybody else can take these things. They just kill me. They absolutely kill me. I just, I feel like I have this alien body that can't take hardly anything. Wow, that's a shame. Because <laughs> I 
know. I'm missing the good things in life. Yeah. <laughs> so what was the... The tarantulas and the altered states. What was the other part that you mentioned? Uh, tarantulas fudge. It was a fudge oh, okay. and altered and reality. Then, uh, caused by the. Yeah. So where do the tarantulas work their way into? Uh, the it was just. Way? It was a little piece that I wrote, and when I first got there, it was like the astrology said, "Don't travel. It's a really bad time to travel." And I went, "What could go wrong? Because I'm here to see my friends. I love my friends. They have a beautiful home. They welcome me." So I got there, and the first day I went, I want to go swimming. And I went out to the pool, and I was like, there's a tarantula swimming in it. And I'm like, oh. A, a live tarantula? A live tarantula. No, could swim. <laughs> well, <laughs> then I didn't want to go out at all. I was like, no, I'm not going anywhere near the pool. So it was just, the whole thing was crazy. I mean, my friend's daughter was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. and I mean, the, it couldn't have been oh a worse trip. It just couldn't have been. And I just... And I just told it in my book, and I just found the humor. <laughs> so that was uh, focused around your your trip to Tucson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just that one piece. But well, it, I, I know that area well. I love it in southeast Arizona. I lived in Bisbee for a while, if you know where that oh, is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bisbee's a great little town. Reminds me of Ojai without the money. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Although I think they have money now. I think it's changed a lot. But um, so you got back to Portland and you're like, oh, how am I going to process this trauma? Oh, actually, I was in Ojai then. Oh, OK. So it's less than 12 years ago. Oh, goodness. I thought yeah. you came to I thought you were doing your one woman show already. Uh, I just it, I didn't do it the last year. I think it was like four or five years ago that I wrote it. Oh, OK. Yeah. And how long is this show? Oh, well, first of all, it was too long, and I forgot to build in an intermission, and then I learned. <laughs> yeah, well, so, you learned by the audience feedback. Right. But, but people yeah. loved that show, and I loved doing it. it was, it's, of course, stressful in terms of your adrenaline, but they really loved it. It's just, it was vignettes about life, about my life, and just some things that weren't true at all. Just designed to make people feel and to laugh and to cry and to enjoy yeah. themselves. Is there anything and, you can share with us now, or a little, little excerpt from the show, or something oh. to give us a little flavor? Not to put you on the spot, I should have. Oh, that's all right. Uh, one of the lines that I, I opened a story with that I really liked was I came out and I said, Hello, I'm enlightened. And you're probably not. <laughs> yeah, that sounds very, very much like Oha. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted, I did a lot of parodies about um, self-importance and just kind of the new age. Although a lot of people probably think I'm pretty new age. <laughs> yeah, well, there is a lot of grifters in the new age community, I've, I've noticed. I think Ojai, a lot of these people come to Ojai and they don't quite get traction in the way that they thought they would. And then they move on. And then it's because Ojai was not ready for them or not, not awakened enough for their higher spiritual resonance or whatever it is that they tell themselves that they didn't catch on. I think that probably Krishnamurti is the only one who actually, you know, based a career around his, you know, a successful career around his Ojai you know, presence, residency. And I think it was because he just 
knew that he wasn't who he was supposed to be. So who was he? Yeah. So he did all this in front of massive crowds, his trans, his journey in front of these massive crowds. Yeah. And to the end, he didn't ever pretended that he had all the answers. Mm-hmm. I mean, people would project a lot of stuff onto him that if you go back and look at what he said, it's not there. It's like he deliberately denied that he had the answers, you know, the leaderless path and all those essays. Yeah. yeah. But it seems like there's a term in Buddhism for a lot of the people that that, uh, collect in Ojai. Hungry ghosts. Have you heard that term? No. Hungry ghosts. We seem to have a lot of hungry ghosts here. Yeah. Present company included. I mean, I feel like I haven't gotten any of the answers either. But, uh, you know. So anything else from the show that felt like really connected? Um, I told a story about my grandmother that people loved. That's probably one of the most favorite stories. Uh, she was dying, and my father said, don't bother to go in and see her. She can't hear you. She's so far gone. And and I went in and saw her anyway, and I brought my flute. And it was a story of playing my flute for her and having her come back and and uh, us singing together. And... Oh, really? While she was on her deathbed, she was... Yeah, she wow, came back. Beautiful. It was so beautiful. And and then and then she, she wanted me to keep playing the flute, and I just couldn't after a while. So I got into bed with her, and I held her tight. And then we started singing together. I'd sing right in her ear so she could hear me. And, and then when I went out and I was visiting with my father, he said, come back and so we walked over by the door and she was in there singing all by herself and really it was just so beautiful it was so same beautiful. song no she sang um a, a goodbye song to me that she was just customizing or vocalizing yeah, um, on the spot or let's see from yeah, it was just a minute From this valley they say you are going I will miss your bright eyes and sweet smile For they say you are taking the sunshine that brightened my path for a while. Wow, Karen, that's a gorgeous. And your grandmother could sing like this. Sounds like a Scottish folk song. That's, that's what that it. sounds like. Is she from Ireland or Scotland? It's definitely mm-hmm. got a Celtic melody <laughs> to it. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, Red River Valley. Yeah. But it was that was the last thing I heard her sing through the door. It was very beautiful. Wow, what a great memory. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I can hear your opera singing or your opera training in that. <laughs> My opera training is really different. <laughs> My yeah. opera training take the roof off. <laughs> so yeah. what... Then, you know, you put this show together. Is this like a form of therapy for yourself? Do you feel like it really... Um, as a chance to work some through some of these things, or are you just thinking more of it as an entertainment? Both, yeah. I think both. What? Yeah, there were there were things that made me cry a lot. Like that was one of the pieces when I was writing it that made me cry a lot. 
I bet it made the audience cry. Too. It did. Everybody always cried after that one. Yeah, that's a that connection that happens between a performer and an audience. It's just it's like the original magic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's why people, you know, the pandemic hit and people said, oh, well, you could still do your show or do your storytelling class. And I went, no, it's there's no magic there now. <laughs> you know, I'd, yeah, Zoom is hard. Yeah, yeah. I have to be, you know, you want this. It's like you're having this wonderful connection and interchange. Yeah, yeah. there's a. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of comedians that try to make that transition to Zoom and you just can't do it. It's not there. There's no. And part of it's like, yeah, they're going to bomb. But some of them I've seen, they love it. They and not just comedians, but others. It's like it doesn't quite work, but it's a great way to get that failure, that fear of failure out of yourself in a low stakes environment. Because if you bomb in front of a crowd, it's like. You know, there's a reason they say you're either killing or you're dying. You know, <laughs> yeah. I say, well, man, I was killing it up there. Or, oh, man, I was dying. <laughs> yes. It's high stakes. <laughs> it's high stakes, especially yeah. being the only person up there. And when I, the first time I was going to do my show, of course, I always get scared. And uh, Susan Bronstein is my teacher at the athletic club, and she was coming. And yeah, Pilates. Uh, no, just stretch. Just yoga. Yeah. Oh, stretch. Yeah. I'm pretty sure she taught a yoga class. Oh, I'm sure she's taught everything. Yeah. But she said, Karen, I just before I went out, she said, I just want you to know, even if you fall on your face, even if you uh, have no success at all, I am going to stand up and applaud because you're so brave. <laughs> you know, and I hear things like that, and I'm like, oh, it's so nice. It really touches me. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just brave to get out there. How many performances have you done? Um, I probably six. Six performances? Yeah. Wow. And you say it's like without intermission, so you're up there. Oh, the first one was. I learned okay. better. Okay. So <laughs> I learned you do better. Like an intermission at like an hour and then for a 15-minute intermission and then like... Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. I, I think it was, gosh, I hardly remember now, but I think it was four stories four or five stories and then an intermission four or five more now wait i'm confused you mentioned tarantulas brownies and altered states <laughs> no <laughs> this that was the book this <laughs> is the, the show this is the show and what's the show called it was called screw it let's do it screw it let's do it right. wow that's a great name for a show <laughs> yeah that's how I felt. I had all these pieces I was putting together, and, and I was thinking, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I'm scared, or I didn't know. Oh, wait, you've written for theater for a long, long time. Right. So you know how it's done. I know how it's, it's done. It's just the doing of it is different, huh? Yeah, it's all of my adult, like I've had this image of this woman myself and almost like a past life where she was in this black dress and it's uh, like the gardenia in her hair and she's out in front of an audience and she's singing and she's performing for them and I just get glimpses of her all the time and then when I got here I went oh it's time to bring her alive and so that, and that's your persona on stage is uh, this? it's always me but yeah. there was one called the black dress where I talked a lot about uh 
my fantasy of what I wanted to do. And it's just all this blown up fantasy of uh, my desire to perform in wonderful places. And then it ends by saying, uh, well, keep that fantasy alive because nothing's impossible. I mean, you could wake up tomorrow morning and remember people's names or whether or not you've taken your pills. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so I try to put it in perspective yeah. with what I want yeah. and how it is. Oh, my God. I feel like the pandemic ruined my middle-term memory. Like, you know, I can tell you what I had for breakfast, or I can tell you what I had for school lunch uh, my first day of kindergarten. But I can't tell you, like, you know, what I saw on TV, like, last week or something. And... and the, the way that that iso- period of isolation sort of messed with all your social cues and everything, I feel like you're having to relearn all that. It's like back to training wheels on just knowing how to be around people and being a crowd. Well. And just making chit-chat stuff. Yeah. It's hard. I don't make chit-chat. I'm probably one of the most introverted people you'll ever meet. I will come out to do a show or to teach a class. But well, that's an interesting irony. What do you think? Isn't it that? bizarre? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and these parts of myself are at war with each other. I mean, I'm like, I do not want to be social. I don't want to see anybody. I love being a hermit. Leave me alone. I'm not going to answer your phone call. And then it's like, I'm going to be on stage. I'm going to teach a class. I'm going to do this show. What is that? You must have examined that. Oh, I have. But I think, I mean, astrologers talk about it. That that's just, they talk about it in astrology language, but I don't know what it means really, except... Venus is in transit. <laughs> right. The moon is in the seventh house. And Jupiter aligns with Mars. <laughs> but usually if I'm on stage, this other part's kind of mad at me. It's like, oh, really? We have to do this? Oh, I hate Putting this. Putting yourself through this, the anxiety of oh, going oh, out yeah. before performance. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It is really tough. <laughs> I have never really done any performing. I was in a play, a melodrama, in Kernville for Whiskey Flat Days. Or no, they did Annie Get Your Gun. And they wanted me to do one part that had all these crazy lines. Not the lead, but a big part. And I just, like, once I realized I was going to have to get up and perform that in front of hundreds of people, I realized I just couldn't do it. So then they gave me about six or seven other bit parts, and I'd have to put on, like, a mustache and come out as some other person or an apron and come out as a shopkeeper. And That was super fun. But I only did it because the girl who was the lead, I was, like, really crushing on her yeah. heart. And then all of a sudden we started dating, and then I didn't... Then I was thinking, well, why did I go through all this? To meet her and then have to go out and perform in front of all these shows because it was like eight or ten shows over the course of four or five days. That was hard, man. Really hard. (laughs) So when are you going to do it again? Speaking of hard, when are you going to, when's your next performance? Oh, I don't think I'll, I think that's out of my system now. I mean, it could change. Oh, this show. Are you probably working on something else, though? I just decided to do this to the calendar. it, It takes care of my storytelling needs. And it doesn't yeah. put me in the middle of it. Well, they're like vignettes, like you're talking about, because you only write, like, what, 150 or 200 words about each of these? Yeah. You're not even that many. Oh, no, it's like words. 110. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just interview them for a long time, and then I say, you know, this is all going to get condensed into this little yeah. tiny piece. What kind of feedback have you gotten from your calendar subjects so far? Um, not a lot. 
meditating. Well, that's a good thing. I'm telling you, from being in a publishing business, <laughs> no feedback is good feedback because people are much more motivated to give you their criticisms than their compliments. <laughs> well, I made sure, you know, that the, the person I was working with liked the photograph that I chose. I wanted to make sure that that was the one. And I would send them my text and say, if there's anything that doesn't please you about this, if anything is not right, then you need to tell me. Because this needs to be our project, not just mine. Yeah. So no feedback yet. But it's really still fairly new. I don't like to get too much of a time frame on these time stamp on these <laughs> episodes. But... It just came out, right? I mean, it just came out in the last couple of weeks or something, right? Uh, no. Or September. Yeah, it yeah. really was like the end of August. Wow, I mean, you're really thinking far ahead. That's, uh, you know, most of these type of calendar projects. I was involved with one that I'm not going to talk about. It's too traumatizing. <laughs> but Michael McFadden used to do these beautiful calendars, scenic shots, like every year. And he'd take orders, you know, early to get the money to pay for the printing. And then, you know, he'd make money after, you know, he got the distribution. But it was always like right up to the last minute, you know, he'd be running around like crazy getting these calendars out in November, December. They were beautiful calendars. I mean, this is a really lovely design calendar and it'll have quite a place on the wall. But... Well, I think there's I, a market for OI calendars, what I'm saying. I found out that if you want a distribution company to handle your calendars, it has to be done in March. Really? Wow. Mm -hmm. That's when I thought, okay, I got to step up to the plate. I got to become a so distribution it's even, company. Even more, even yeah. worse than I thought. Uh huh. And you probably then your margins shrink greatly, and you got to have the barcode and everything on there. And, and uh, go through these distributors. I do some distribution with the magazine. You see there's a barcode on there. Yeah. But um, I don't really receive a lot of money from that, but it's great to know that, oh, there's copies of the Ohio Quarterly in Scottsdale, Arizona, or San yeah. Francisco, or mm -hmm. Powell's Books in Portland. We oh, have, yeah. yeah, they take like three or four copies. I don't know what they do with them. I never see any money. But the distributors, is kind of a racket. I don't know if you're... Probably didn't get too deep into the weeds with that, but... Deeper than I'd like. <laughs> yeah. Deeper, deep enough to know that you were going to do it on your own, which I think was a smart call. Yeah, I'd, I've never done it. I like to learn new things, and that was a new thing. Yeah, that's a big project, yeah. Yeah, because I, I was loving interviewing people and getting their story and taking the photos yeah, and putting it all together fun. and working with my son, and it was just great. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's over, now I have to do mailing, and I have to <laughs> go to the post. Less fun just, parts. Yeah, yeah, the much less fun parts. I had to learn a lot. Because at first I was just like, everything was chaos, and then I had to make myself some order. So it was probably uh, organizing principle got you out of bed in the morning and kept you on track. Really, a lot of this was, I just didn't want to be bored during the pandemic, and I was getting bored, because I, I do healing work, and that's very intense, and I do on the computer, and that's one of the reasons I always do, like, storytelling classes or one woman show or something, because I have to balance the intensity of the healing work with yeah. something creative. Do you feel and I, like, as a healer, that, that it's taking that energy or essence out of you to put it into another person, or... Is it just like the mental focus and 
so forth that's draining. I think it's both. You think you do have to transfer energy? Yeah, I do. I mean, my daughter is a traditional therapist, and she goes, Mom, you know, if you had the right techniques, you would not be feeling this way. But for me, I'm... I feel things so deeply and I feel into other people so deeply that I, I just, that's part of it. I can't see that many people, but it's enough. And I've been doing it all of my adult life. So my, I'm not seeing that many people now, plus my age. I'm like, okay, I <laughs> just do enough to keep afloat. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And what do, what do you call your process? Just intuitive work? Um, emotional healing. Emotional healing. Yeah, yeah, like Marvin Gaye. Or no, that was sexual healing. <laughs> but it was healing nonetheless. It was healing nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, so you have a website? We'll post it up in the notes. Uh, yeah. Oh, Karen Van- Banfield at me. Yeah. Dot me. Dot me. Yeah. Which is Mac, right? That's a Macintosh account, isn't it? Dot me is also. Oh, it's Mac. WordPress. Weird Press. Oh, that's Word, your, WordPress. WordPress. Oh, okay. Weird Press. You can find me on Weird, Weird Press. Press. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've worked with WordPress, and yeah, that would fit. Yeah. So, um, what else? Is, oh, how did you come find Ojai, though? It seems, you know, to come from Portland to Ojai seems yeah. like kind of, how did that happen? There's always some weird connection. There is. I, um... I was getting sick, really sick every year. I got pneumonia and I, for a while I flew around and it's like, do I want to live in Hawaii? Do I want to, looking at all these places, where do I want to live? And then winter was coming and I didn't know where I wanted to live. And I just thought, I just have to get in the car and drive south. I have no idea. You wanted someplace warm and yeah. relatively dry. Yeah, and my son was in Los Angeles. And so I, a friend said, oh, there's musicians in San Diego. They'll take you for a while. And so I went to San Diego, and that was a lot of young people with no sense of home. <laughs> and really? So that didn't work. And then I just got in my car, and I drove and drove all around for weeks. And it was my idea that I would go to my son and say, I've moved to California. Surprise. And instead I said... I don't know where I'm going to live. Surprise. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> so I stayed with him for about a month, and I was actually unpacking my car, and his uh, neighbor that I met in Thanksgiving, I just I was lamenting, going, I don't know where to go. I, I need a small place. I need a place where people are conscious. I need to be a, in a place where people are artistic, and I just need to find my my spot, and he said, oh, Ojai would be good for you. Oh, really? Your son was knew Ojai? Uh, that was his neighbor that said oh, that to neighbor, me. Oh, his neighbor, sorry. His neighbor. And then you know, I came like, visit. Yeah, it sounds like what you just described. Yeah, where else would you go? Where else would I go? But the thing is that the price of everything was so alarming that even though I found a house, I couldn't make myself rent it because I just thought, that's way too high. I can't possibly yeah. live here. <laughs> yeah. It is expensive here. Was there any other places in California that you sort of thought, hmm, maybe this could work? Absolutely no other place. No other place? Or how about any places that were fun to visit? Because I think California is having everything, you know, it's being just the whole range. I don't know that I visited very many places. Um, I've, I've always been avoidant of California because of so many people and so much traffic. 
And so when I went to see my son, I think of California as L.A. It's like, oh, man, this is not for me. Hell, <laughs> right? L.A. L.A., yeah. It's just like a psychic horror show. <laughs> really. <Yeah. laughs> so I just, you know, I would go to visit him. And then I just wandered around the coastal areas. Um, but I thought, I don't really need to live by the ocean. I don't need that. And uh, I was very ill when I left Portland. And... The first year I was here, I just threw away all my pills. The sun was exactly what I needed. Oh, the sun was amazing. Yeah, yeah. it's really good. So you had pneumonia. Like, that's uh, pretty severe. That's not Every good. year. Every year I got Every it. year it starts with a cold and goes to bronchitis. Yep. And, and I, So you must be really scared of COVID. No, I'm not. <laughs> You're not scared of COVID because you feel like... It's going to happen or not? Are you resigned to it or um, do you feel like you've got Well, something? I mean, it's Thomas Fire probably did to my lungs worse than anything else. Yeah. Um, but I just know I don't believe I'm going to get it and I don't believe I'm going to give it. Okay. That's, <laughs> I that's just, some confidence. It is. It is some confidence. Yeah. I don't know that I'm so confident. I feel like it's lurking around waiting for me a lot of my clients feel that way too yeah. yeah that's a lot of the work i do is just listening to those kind of fears it's that low simmering anxiety that's just covid is what we fasten on but it'd be there if it wasn't covid it'd be something else yeah yeah, yeah. so um yeah that's anything else going on you want to talk about or how about uh, another song? Do you have another song? Oh, gosh. Sing, <laughs> sing us out? Well, you got your voice all warmed up. I wouldn't normally put anybody on the spot, but your voice is really amazing. Oh, It'd thank you. It'd be a great way to, uh, you know, usher us out of this episode. Well, if I, I just, nothing quite comes to mind. I'd be very happy to do it if I, something would come to mind. Well, you uh, like Red River Valley. What's some other folk song that's... So. Um, there's a there's a vocal exercise. Uh. Ne contrasto amor si chende con chicedo chi sarrende mai si babaro non er mai 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 non er kong ki chaireu ki sarande I see Baha Baroho no ner no my Sibaha Baroho no ner Wow <laughs> Thank you <laughs> Thanks Karen Yeah Just thinking out loud. Talking with Karen about her life and life's work, it reminded me that the idea of Ojai as a sanctuary is alive and well. We talked about how people come and go, some stay, some move on quickly, often not finding what they're seeking. But there are plenty who make this place their home, who open themselves up in such a way that they make others feel at home as well. 
I think there's enough good men in Ojai to fill up at least a century's worth calendars, and more coming all the time. Well, that's it for this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town. We'll keep an ear out for you. 